the show, Paul George in studio. Great to be with you today. Thanks for listening in, whether on the podcast, wherever you're listening at home, driving or around the world, or on KLFT Radio, Catholic Radio for Acadiana. Great to be with you today. Got a great show, but we're one man down. Got producer Chad in the studio today. Yes, actually a producer today, which is exciting. That's it. Pressing the buttons, doing the stuff. This is his first show to produce. Uh, And Adam's out. We got a man down. He's on retreat. Yeah, somewhere in Oklahoma. Him, huh? I mean, he just took off last. He's been gone for a week. I know. I, I, uh, he texted me on Saturday or Sunday, one of the days, just reminding me about doing something for work. And uh, I responded five minutes later, and he had like an auto response and said, "Sorry, I'm actually on retreat. If you have any issues, <laughs> get with my wife about this or whatever." Any, I was like, "Dang, man!" It's five issues. minutes later. Yeah. Yeah, he uh, <laughs> he was telling me the last time he went on a long retreat that like he was just so t- now Adam's got eight kids right, so he slept for the first two days, which I don't blame him. I'm sure oh, yeah. he just crashes. Uh, but anyway, so uh, we got a great show planned. Thanks for listening today. Um, yeah, so Chad's in in studio, and uh, so anyway, uh, do you have a have you seen today? What did you say? That is so interesting. Oh, for real, though? All right, so anytime you see a news story right. that begins with Florida Man. <laughs> Florida Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you put your guard up a little bit. Right, you know, because you have it's, to. It's like, is it fake news or what is it? That and, and Florida Man. There, there was this trend going around for a little while where you would search your birthday, like your actual birthday, and Florida Man. And see what and see what, what would come like up. Like what crazy news story came up on your birthday? Yeah, okay. that, that a Florida man did. I think mine was <laughs> something like bath salts or, you know, whatever. Guy out in the street, no clothes, whatever. Yeah, just crazy. crazy. Yeah. So this one is Florida man is suing McDonald's. Okay. All right, which, I mean, bad idea to start. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you're probably going to lose that one. He, his claim was that he was injured by a chicken nugget. <laughs> How does that even happen? I, I don't know the story. Well, the story goes that that he uh, he wasn't even he wasn't even at the McDonald's. He took it home with him, okay. right? Got I think he got McDonald's to go, which right that's fair enough. Yeah, I don't know. It's like it's like Ubering Uber Eats or whatever okay. McDonald's, mm-hmm. and had it delivered to him, and he bit into his chicken nugget and bit a chicken bone. Oh, there was a hidden yeah, chicken bone. Yeah, broke his tooth. And he wants to sue. Yeah, so he's suing for his dental costs. Now, look, you know, how do you prove there was a bone in there? You can't, really, because no. it, you could just, you know, pretend yeah, there was a bone. Chicken bones look can, all the same. And you can, yeah, exactly. Like, there's no proof in that. However, years ago, I read this article, and this is just, look, this is going to gross people out, but <laughs> there was literally this happened at a, a fast food chain there was a piece of someone's finger in a sandwich oh. and someone found it, brought it to the counter and it was on the news and that oh, really grossed me bad. out. Yeah. 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 Well, I feel like, okay, some people get grossed out when they see like little, those little pin feathers on their like chicken wings and stuff. <laughs> right. You know, like if you go to a, a wing place. Yeah. But to me, I'm like, man, at least it's actual chicken. Well, that's true. You know, that's how I feel about it. Like, I think all of us were a little surprised that there was actually chicken bones in McDonald's chicken nuggets. Well, that might be the best point ever because you really don't know if this (laughs) actually chicken or not, you know. Uh, But uh, actually, have a have you seen, uh, I thought it was funny and creative, is, um, you know, Halloween's coming up and uh, it's fall, school, trick-or-treat, whatever, whether you do that or not, you know, 
that's beside the point. I just thought this was a funny idea because of COVID and the whole distance, you know, and, you know, all, all this stuff is this dad um, got this long PVC pipe tube okay. and decorated it orange, right? And it's probably 10 feet long and and then put it outside of his door and then just going to roll the candy down the tube. Oh, that's awesome. To the trick-or-treaters, right? Mm, love it. <laughs> so I think that's hysterical. I mean, if it was me, like I would roll some things down that tube that probably wasn't like... <laughs> Candy be like surprise. <laughs> it's a golf ball. I don't know. Like, but that's awesome. Did you did you grow up in a neighborhood that did trick or treating? Yeah, I mean, as a kid, like we we were all on one street, and a lot of my family lived on one street when I was young. You know, aunts, uncles, grandparents. You know, I lived in a small town, and you know, everybody just went to each other's house. And the tradition was my grandmother, which I you know was so awesome. I remember, she would make corn kettle balls. You know that. Um, these that, corn candy balls is what they called them. It was out of popcorn and syrup, oh. and she would make them into these big round balls, and you could just, just, Gosh. just hunker down and eat those things, man. <laughs> uh, and I was a fan of those because I don't, I don't eat a ton of candy. I never have for some reason, but those those popcorn balls were like amazing mm. and nobody does them i don't i don't know where she came up with it i have no idea but that was the tradition gosh know? that sounds wonderful yeah we grew up in my uh, little subdivision it was like a mile around a mile loop and everybody in vermilion parish would make their way there i'm serious we i don't know what it was i guess well rumor gets around which neighborhoods give big right. candy right okay and it's not like we had this like really fancy neighborhood or anything no but it's usually like sort of these certain neighborhoods it didn't have to be like these you know like super swanky rich neighborhoods that doesn't there there's usually these neighborhoods and they're kind of just these normal neighborhoods that have a reputation for like just giving out great candy and yeah. having a party like having fun yeah we had we had people that went all out too like guys that would dress up in these in these masks and like rev up chainsaws you know <laughs> and they would make haunted houses out of their house and have tours so it got pretty serious we had thousands and thousands of people that would come through the neighborhood Every year. Yeah. It's still, it's still like that. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I like about, you know, Halloween trick-or-treat is that it's fall. Like, so I mm. start looking forward to fall and just, you know, the season changing, getting cooler. And it's like people's moods get better, oh, you know. Yeah. When, Around here especially. When the weather changes, you know. So so that's, that's what I look forward to, uh, you know, the most. But anyway... Um, thanks for listening today, whether you're listening on radio, KLFT radio or on the podcast, uh, Paul George, uh, Chad in studio, Adam's out today. Um, so it's great to be with you, dude. One of the greatest saints of all times. And look, there's, you could go on and on of the greatest <laughs> saints of all times, but one, I think like in a contemporary setting, uh, most people would recognize this name, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, St. Vincent de Paul. Oh yeah. Right. Famous for... All these Saint Vincent de Paul sinners that that um, you know give clothing or whatever to the poor. We have those all around. Uh, maybe you have one in your parish or in your city, uh, and we've heard the name Saint Vincent de Paul. It wasn't just a cool name; it was actually a person mm. who was a saint and is a saint. And uh, his his feast day is coming up this Sunday, and Saint Vincent de Paul, like to me, you know, the more and more I read about him, is we don't think much about him. Uh, you know, he was around the 1500s, around the Protestant Reformation. 
And, you know, what, what he did instead was he hunkered down and served the poor, mm. right? But it, interesting story is that he actually went to seminary, became a priest, and, and the story goes is that he basically uh, became a priest just to have sort of this easy lifestyle, you know? Oh, interesting. And that was sort of kind of like, in some ways back then, sort of the discrepancy in the church. You know, there were certain mm. hierarchy uh, people in the church who, you know, were taking advantage of, you know, the system, maybe, right? right? And that happens all throughout history in all t- sorts of, you know, governments and work life, you know, whatever the case may be. And 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 it's true, there were some discrepancies in the church. I mean, you look back at the Reformation, you look back at all the, the tension going around. Uh, so he's a priest, already ordained, okay? And he's at the bedside of, of someone he knows who's dying and has like a reconversion, you could say, like a moment with Christ, with this person dying, mm-hmm. And it changes his priesthood forever. Like wow. that was like the turning point where it's just like, you know, it was, you know, it was like this invitation to Jesus. Like, okay, you're going to go all in or are you just going to stay on the peripheral? Mm. Right. And it's pretty powerful. Um, yeah. Because the work that he did past that moment speaks for itself. Right. The fact that he's, you know, canonized saint fact that there's all these St. Vincent de Paul centers all over the world, all over our country, you know, we would recognize that name. Most people would say, yeah, I've heard of St. Vincent de Paul, at least as a clothing, you know. Right. Uh, right. Or they donated my family something or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, I mean, he was, you know, grew up in, in France, you know, so, um, you know, people in South Louisiana where we live, have a special devotion to him because, you know, we have a French culture and heritage, you know, down here. Um, but he spent his life serving the poor. It was really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. I think, I think that's an interesting thing to think about. Like he's, he spent his life serving the poor in the midst of this sort of battle of ideals or battle of like thought, you know? Right. And I think it's almost like, not that, uh, the Protestant Reformation was political. I mean, I guess it kind of was to some extent, but I, it reminds me of our times, right? We can get so caught up in political ideas and ideologies that, to the detriment of the people who are in need around us. Right. Here's what's interesting. You read a story, and it just makes it's kind of beautiful. Just so here, here are the people that helped him serve the poor, the rich. Yeah. That that's who helped him. Like wow. he he ministered to all people, people with money, people without money. But his mission was to serve the poor. But the people who helped him serve the poor were the people with money, the people with you know who had means, right? And it wasn't like he got government grants or you know expected you know certain you know state fundings to come through. Like the gospel is about one person helping another, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so one group of people helping another group of people. Like that's that's the Christian life. Like that's that's who we are. We don't s- segment or separate. We don't. Um, you know, you know, we're not on different sides. Like we're we're one human family. We're we're all God's people, right? Mm. Uh, and so, before so many systems and things were put into place, you know, back then it was just like, hey, you have something that this person needs. Can you help? Yes, of course I can. And the the ministry became about two groups of people loving each other, and and I mean, then that's really what it's about. You know, um, that's what. 
living for Christ is about is, is us helping other people. So what, what he was able to do is just connect people with other people. Yeah. Right. Right. It sounds like so simple. No, it does. It does. But you put it like that. Yeah. Yeah. But it's beautiful. I I have a need here and I'm going to connect you with that need because you have something that you can help with, but you want to, I'm not forcing you to, I'm not forced to give money to this, but but my conversion is prompting me to do something with what God has given me to help this person or this thing. And there was no, you know, it wasn't like, it wasn't complicated, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I, it think, makes me think about, uh, one of the things Bishop Barron often talks about is um, that when we, when we receive grace or we receive gifts, we ought to we ought to give them back, right? They're not ours to take and to hold on to. And he says that's sort of the first sin of Adam and Eve, or that they, they took the gifts that were that were given to them and held on to them as if they were their own, mm-hmm. but they but they were not, right? And I love that. Uh, well, the life of Saint Paul, Saint Vincent de Paul, I think is a good testament to that, or at least helping people see that that like the gifts that have been given to you are much better if you've been if you give them away. Well, yeah, and we see this in the gospel, right? Like we hear the story of the talents, the guy who, mm-hmm. you know, the guy who buries his talents and the guy, the guys who invest their talents and they make more with their talent, you know, and they go back to, uh, their master and, and then the one who buried his talent, like the master's just really ticked off. Like when you mm-hmm. read the gospel story and like, you're kind of uncomfortable when you read it with how ticked off yeah. the, the master is with the servant who buried. Yeah. I thought he was just being responsible. The first time I read it, I was like, yeah, the first time I read it is like, Oh good. Very conservative. <laughs> that's good. Just yeah. keep, keep that talent safe in there, buddy. You know, and <laughs> you're right. Like that's sort of how, and then you read and then you see what the others deal with their talents. And then you see what, what the master, how he reacts to the person who buried his talent. Now, I'm not saying God looks at us when we bury our talent and scolds us in a sense, but I think the analogy of the parable that Jesus is bringing out there is that is what you're saying, right? Mm-hmm. Is what Adam and Eve did, like a sin of hiding our talent, like it, the sin of, of not using what God has given us, whether that yeah. be a physical, mental talent, or whether it be means, you know, money and i'm not talking about you know you sit down and say well when i make more or i'm rich i'll i'll do something no like we all have a little mm-hmm. and we all do something but there is a, a unique sin around that if we just bury those talents right and i've been convicted of that i've i've done that i think we've all at some point said you know i'm going to hold this for myself oh for sure i'm not going to do much with it i'm not going to you know whatever but it's it's just interesting because what St. Vincent de Paul did was, you know, he really dove into this parable of the talents and was able to help people kind of unbury their talents. Like, And that's the beauty. He's like, you can go back, unbury that talent, reinvest it. Like, it, you're not, you're not, um, you know, your identity is not forever in what you did in the past. Right. Right? Like, you're not yeah. defined by that. Like, you can always say, hey, uh, time out. I, I know where it is. <laughs> I'm going to go get it. I, I need a do-over. Yeah. Right? Yeah, well, I think there's a great mystery, too, to that, that, like, the more we are willing to give of ourselves, like, the more we end up receiving and the and the bigger our capacity is to receive and give. Like, it's it's strange. You think that if you give everything that you have, then you would have nothing to yourself or you'd have nothing for yourself. Um, but, what, but what ends up happening is that you receive so much more, so, so much more. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's kind of like, 
you know, with Halloween, have you ever gone to those those houses, honestly, where you expect like a Starburst or a Skittle and they give you like a full like Snickers bar? Yeah, or the full and, size packs even, yeah. Yeah, and you're just like jackpot. Like I just, <laughs> I won the lottery, you know? And it, it's kind of like that. It's like when if you can do that, do that. And, you know, when someone receives a gift of that, it, it really uh, bears a lot of fruit. So, all right, we're going to take a break and we'll be right back. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for listening in. So glad you guys are here today. Uh, whether you're on the podcast, iTunes, Google Play, whatever the case may be, or on KLFT Radio, thanks for being with us today. Deacon Adam Conk is out off on retreat. Man, I bet his wife's exhausted, those kids. Oh, man. But I think she's got some help, some in-laws. And I know, but he's going to come back so much better. <laughs> he's going to come back a better <laughs> not man. That he's, not that he's uh, bad, but you know what I mean? Oh, no. And here's the thing, like for all of us, you know, myself included, is that the importance of getting away on retreat. You oh, know, yeah. there's a difference between vacation and retreat. Okay. Uh, vacation is certainly some rest and some play, some enjoyment, um, away from work, time with family. Retreat is the intention of retreat is not only rest, but it's specific time with God, right? It's, it's, it's a unique, you know, immersion into time with God and prayer and rest and discernment, right? It, there's intention of that. And so, you know, if you're looking at your life cycle of a year, you know, two, you know, you should probably plug in a retreat somewhere in there, you know, whether you go away for a weekend or a few days during the week, whatever the case may be, um, those moments are really important for our spiritual life. Right. Yeah. You know, we go to mass on Sunday. Uh, you go to church during the week. Uh, you certainly have, you know, your prayer time and maybe in a Bible study, but, but that alone quiet time with God away from everything else where you have more than just 20 minutes where you really have a couple of days to really dive in extremely important. Oh yeah. I think it's, I think it's gotta be more than just one day or two days. I think at least for me, I mean, some people may not like a silent retreat that's kind of unstructured. I loved it. I felt so rested after. And after like the second or third day, you're like in it. You're like, okay, I've been silent and this is for real. Like right. it's not just been a day and a half. It's been like I've slept, I've woke up in silence and went to bed in silence. Like this is for real. Yeah. And there's something, man, I have never felt more rested than after a good silent retreat, like a good long silent retreat. It's a monastery where nobody bothers me and yeah. I eat pretty decent, you know? And yeah. And I know a lot of folks, you're like, man, we're busy family. And how, how do I do that? And, you know, for each season of life, it's a little bit different of what you can pull off, but it doesn't mean that you can't do something, you know? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's important for all of us and, you know, I have to be better and more intentional about it. And uh, so is my wife and just making sure that we're having those, you know, those spiritual getaways so that we can grow in our faith and, reconnect with God. Not that we can't do that day to day, but there is significant time, you know, it's like 
why does a couple go away for a honeymoon? You know, why does a mm. couple go on a date night or do, does a couple go away for a weekend? Why to reconnect, to, to rekindle the fire, to, to add to the flame, to, you know, whatever the case may be, the same as in our spiritual life. Like, like we should, should be doing that, you know? So anyway, that's where Adam <laughs> is. But, um, you know, we were talking about St. Vincent de Paul and, you know, Mother Teresa of Calcutta, St. Mother Teresa, um, had a special devotion to St. Vincent de Paul, obviously, because really? she served the poor. Like, you know, they would have been in the same lane. You right, could they're say. probably in the same lane in heaven now. Yeah, I mean, you know, they, they would, you know, they were in the same lane as far as, like, their heart and passion. Um, you know, I, obviously, we know more about Mother Teresa because she was certainly more in our contemporary times. Right, we've got videos uh, and got videos pictures. And, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I have a unique, special devotion to Mother Teresa. And even early on in my conversion, there was just some things about her, her stories I read that were just, mm-hmm. um, they were so authentic and so true to the gospel that I would read uh, in the Bible that it it uh, enamored me to the point of like, it, it, would, it was ushering a deeper conversion for me by learning more about her. You know, and the saints can have that effect on us because the saints, it's not about us like looking at the saint and saying, oh, there's something special about them. That That's not what saints are. Like in a sense, like saints reflect Jesus. They reflect the gospel. Like, you know, their life speaks about something greater mm-hmm. than themselves. I mean, Mother Teresa would have never woke up and said, you know, it's really about me. <laughs> and if you just look at me, then everything, you know, will make sense. It was all about reflecting something greater, which is what vocation is. Like when you really live it, it's about reflecting something greater than yourself. Okay. Yeah. And Mother Teresa was in that same lane as St. Vincent de Paul. You know, and you know, it it doesn't we, we don't have to be perfect. It's it's funny, there's this line um that it says uh St. Vincent de Paul, his temperament was was sort of like he was an irritable person. And it says he, even his friends would mm. admit that. Um but it says, uh, he said, this is from him, that except for the grace of God, he would have been found hard and repulsive, rough and cross. But he became a tender and affectionate man, very sensitive to the needs of others. Mm, it's like a man when he first has a daughter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's what you think of. <laughs> yeah, he's just rough around the edges, but he was pursuing God. And in that pursuit of God, God's grace you know, shave down the edges, mm. right? Like, like those rough edges. That's that's what God does for us. You know, when we in relationship, like I have rough edges. Like I got, oh, yeah. I, you know, I'm wonky and weird, and you know, <laughs> I temperamental or whatever the case may be. We all are, and like in this idea that we're supposed to be perfect and have it all together, it's just that's unfounded. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. and and he was this just real irritable, you know man and you know when you read about mother teresa you read about her desolation like her dark night her times of feeling real distant from god and that being a real struggle and irritable moments in her life and yet the grace of god continued to provide everything that she needed you know and like just carved it all out. Yeah, one of the big takeaways for me, I guess, is when I think about that, one of the one of the first people for me that was like what Mother Teresa is to you was I when I was early in my conversion, which was like a freshman year of college. 
I, in my history class, learned about St. Francis, which I wow. know is not the normal order of things. No, definitely. But I, I took this uh, ancient civilizations class. And so, uh, of course, they, they talked about religion because it's a huge shaper of society. But they talked about St. Francis as though he was like the first guy to live the gospel <laughs> really? for real. Yeah, yeah. So it was really interesting. He was like, yeah. The way they described him was like, yeah, he was just, he was like, well, I think I just should live exactly like Christ lived. And he was like the first person to do that. That's what my history class said, which obviously I know now is like not the case, but, but it was, it blew my mind that somebody actually tried to live it. But then like, but one got, had followers because of it. Like people were attracted to the lifestyle, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, not that he was, you know, he's praised now, but not that he was praised in his lifetime, but yeah, he actually lived it out. And then it was an attractive lifestyle and people found joy that way, like living as Christ lived. And that was, I mean, that was crazy to me that that's the case. But the fact is, like, we can do that today. Like, live as Christ lived. We'll still be ourselves and still be rough around the edges and still, you know, be confused or right. <laughs> and not know what we're doing. But um, that's the call is that the saints are real and we really can be saints. Yeah, and and it doesn't mean perfection. You know, that there's there's nothing that says anything about that in the lives of the saints and they were perfect. It never says mm-hmm. that, you know, there's this, you know, story, uh, with mother Teresa that, that gets me is, um, there, there was a priest that went down to visit mother Teresa and wanted to do a highlight reel and article. And he was a journalist priest and wanted to, you know, bring her ministry stories back to the United States and, you know, just capture it and, you know, write about it. And so he goes down to Calcutta and you know he's just dressed in his clerics all nice you know coming from the U.S. and uh you know knocks on the orphanage door the convent and um just expecting you know like a secretary or something to answer and Mother Teresa answers the door <laughs> you know he's just like wait it's you <laughs> and uh she's like father we're you know we're we've been expecting you you know put your bags down follow me so he just sets his bags down and she starts walking to, down the street, like not into the convent, out of the convent, into the street. And he's like, mother, <laughs> you're going the wrong way. <laughs> and uh, and uh, he's following her, and, and all of a sudden, you know, they're in the slums. You know, she lived, you know, they that was her purpose, right, to minister to the poor, the dying, the orphans. Um, and, and even more so in a specific place where Christianity wasn't the top religion, the faith, you know, so she was ministering to Muslims and Hindus and, uh, you know, whatever. So they're down the street. They're in the slums. Slums that that he's never seen before, this type of slum. You know, people dying on the road, starving on the side of the road. And there's a man dying on the side of the road. Mother Teresa goes up to him and is ministering to him, talking to him. And she looks at the priest and says, pick him up. And it's sort of this this St. Vincent de Paul moment where Mm. St. Vincent de Paul was at the bedside of this this man who was dying and he experienced uh, this, this unique connection with Christ in that moment. And so he's like, mother, I, I'm not prepared. I don't know how to do this. I'm not dressed (laughs) for this. And in true mother Teresa fashion, she just looked at him and said, pick him up, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, how do you say no to mother Teresa? I don't think you can. (laughs) (laughs) At least I couldn't, (laughs) you know, and so he picks up this man and she starts walking back to the orphanage and, and um, 
they get back and he's carrying the, this dying man and he's just having this moment where he's just like, I, I don't know what's happening right now. Like, and she's teaching him about Christ by just doing what Christ would do. You see what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. like she didn't say, Hey, read this first or study this first. She just, you know, this is what Jesus would do. So do it. And you'll learn about Jesus by doing what Jesus would do. Mm. And so he's following her. They get to the, to back uh, to the, to the convent. And she says, um, I want you to bathe this man, clean him up, and stay with him until he dies. Wow. And wow. she just left. And he's like, Mother, I, I don't know how to do this. I was trained for this, never done this. You know, I didn't get this in seminary. <laughs> you know, right? Like, uh, yeah. it, talk about like a, you know, like just a cultural shock. But not only was it a cultural shock from coming from like the United States to the third world, that's certainly a cultural shock. Like if you ever take the trip to the third world, like you're going to, you're going to be like jumping from like cold water to hot water. It's going to hurt for a moment. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just going to be like, what just happened? But the culture shock jumping from like a comfortable gospel to a real, like a, like a, like, like the actual gospel, you know? Yeah. Like just in the trenches, you know? So he's like, I don't know how to do this. And she just left and he just found himself holding this man who was naked and bathing him. And in that moment, he says the first time in his life as a priest that he saw the face of Jesus Mm. and he began to weep. He says he held this man in his arms and he wept until the man died. And that was the turning point in his life. That was this reconversion moment. And mother Teresa didn't have to, tell him anything about it. It just, he experienced it. It, it happened, you know? And, and that's what life's like. Like when, when we begin to like really follow Jesus and do what Jesus would do, act the way he would act. It, like th- there, there is change in our life. Mother Teresa had a, had a unique way of doing that. But, you know, there is a specific crazy mission about serving not only the poor, but the poor that are like dying. Mm. You know, like to be with someone in their most vulnerable time. Yeah. Where, By far the most vulnerable. Where they're, where the unknown is so unknown. Where the next, you know, step is like what? You know, mm-hmm. like. Yeah, I, I kind of want to get into the mind of Mother Teresa a little bit. Like, where was she at? But what I think she saw was probably something super simple, right? She was like, there's a dying man down the street that needs help. And here's a man that can carry him. Right. And that can help him. And that was probably about it. Right. Because she's like, this is what I need you to do. And that's probably where her mind, like, I feel like Mother Teresa, along with the rest of the saints, were just so, like, they knew they were on mission. And that was their life, was that they were on mission. And this is their mission, and hers in particular, to rescue and give dignity to the people that have no dignity. I mean, like, that's what uh, the sort of Indian culture was, or maybe still is, yeah. is that there's is a class system, and these people because they're at the bottom rung, don't have dignity. They don't have dignity. And I think in America, we, we sort of look at our poor uh, and criminals, maybe uh, maybe is another good uh, class that we look at like that, as though they're like barely mm. human. Yeah. And I mean, so much so that we don't want to make eye contact with them. Uh, we don't want to exchange names or greetings or anything. Like it's it's so easy. We, we try to, our best to ignore them. Uh, and I'm speaking to myself as much as I'm speaking to Absolutely. everyone else. Um, 
Yeah, but what does it look like to be in the mind of Mother Teresa? It's like, okay, well, this person needs help. Maybe I can't help them. Maybe I can. Like St. Vincent de Paul, like maybe I can help them. Maybe I can't. Um, but there are people that can. And maybe you're not ready to help, but you are ready to help. Yeah, absolutely. And it's true. Like there are certain people, uh, certain classes or certain and in and in different cultures where it's almost like, oh, they don't have as much dignity, you know, so uh and this is what Mother Teresa was trying to shatter, is like through the eyes of Christ, everyone has dignity. It just literally does not matter. Right? Mm-hmm. Everyone is created in the image and likeness of God. Period. No questions. Thank you very much for asking, right? And and that's ultimately like what we have to come around and be uncomfortable with as Christians. Now, look, I'm not called to go to Calcutta, although that would be great. Like I you know, but you know, I don't have to go to Calcutta to have a heart for the poor. You know, I can do something here locally. Um, I may not, you know, speaking in general for everyone, feel called to serve the poor maybe, but I can give. You know, there's different mm-hmm. ways that we can help people have dignity without, you know, being the one that picks the person up. Now, that may be what we're called to, but it, but just because we can't pick someone up, in a sense, doesn't mean that we can't help in some way, that mm-hmm. we can't be a part of a mission or um, help or give or whatever the case may be. And we all got to have to pray and, and wrestle with that, you know? And it's, it's interesting because, you know, I have this special devotion to Mother Teresa, but, you know, uh, here locally in Louisiana and Acadiana, and if you're not uh, from here, it's really cool. Um, I'm in the process of helping to raise money and build Calcutta House, mm. which is uh, a hospice house for hospice patients who are obviously dying. They're at their last moments and days, and they're at the most vulnerable time in their life, and so is their family. And this this house is being built specifically for those patients who maybe don't have a home mm. and they're, they're not going to be denied the care because mother Teresa wouldn't deny them the care. Right. Um, maybe their home is so decrepit that hospice can't even go in to their house. Like think about that. Um, patients who would die alone. Mm-hmm. Like think about like someone on hospice, but there's no family around that. So, so that they wouldn't be denied like coming into a place and having loving people around them. Like, so it's just crazy that this is all like coming together. And I think you, it's crazy that we live in a first world society and that's still the reality, you know? Yeah. And, it, and it's because we don't see it. Right. Doesn't mean it's not there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Certainly like, do we have a homeless problem in our country? Absolutely. Do, do we have poor in our country? A hundred percent. You know, like, do we have to go to the third world to see that? No. Do we have people who die alone or, without care or, you know, without family or, you know, without the needs to pay for, you know, certain things. Absolutely. We do. We don't, if we're not aware of it, we don't see it. We don't know it's there, but it's there. Right. Right. And maybe not to the extent of Calcutta, but we all, and mother Teresa would say this, we all have our own Calcuttas. Yeah. You know, we all have our own little Calcuttas in our neighborhoods and our streets and in our towns. And I don't have to go to Calcutta to find my Calcutta. She would say, find your Calcutta, you know? Like, who are the poor you're called to serve? Whether it's, like, actually they're they're monetarily poor or they're, like, spiritually, spiritually poor. Spiritually, yeah. Absolutely, you know? 
And so it's just crazy that we're going to have this Calcutta house, you know? So it's you awesome. Know, somebody's, you know, interested in like learning more about it or uh, even helping to fund it or whatever, just call Hospice of Acadiana. It's one of our sponsors of our show, but you can find out more about, ask for me, I'll talk to you about it. Cause it's, it's just, it's one of the most unique things that I've, I've ever been a part of because I do have a specific heart for the poor, but I've never been able to go to Calcutta. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're going to have our own Calcutta here, you know, which is really cool. And we all yeah. have them in our neighborhoods. And so we can get behind it in some way, shape or fashion, you know, give, pray for it, uh, support it. And like St. Vincent de Paul is like he he just connected people who had what didn't have. And then it just worked out because <laughs> that's that's what Christians do. You yeah. Know? And I can say this, that there are some unique moments in my life that were radical turning points and reconversions. And I would say the majority of those happened when I was um, in a ministry moment or setting with the poor. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was either in the shelters of Hurricane Katrina where, you know, I was just like, there were some stories that, like I'll 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 die just thinking about you know like forever like have changed my life in the third world when I've gone you know that that just I'll never forget there'll, there'll never be a day that I won't think I remember that and I'll never forget it and there are a lot of memories we have that we forget mm-hmm. you know like most of them <laughs> right but there's some specific like key moments in our life that are just like that is drilled into my soul it'll never go away. And That's an interesting thing to think about mm-hmm. because I think, man, there's uh, there was this really there's a story that was really popular in, in Catholic conferences that I heard often, but it was about a guy that that was uh, a he helped run underground churches and where they were persecuted, which like I in China, it was in China. Yeah, maybe you've heard it before. Mm. I don't know, but anyway, he he was able to flee and move to New York. Um. Yeah, and was consumed by that the uh, the sort of capitalist mindset. Not that I'm like condemning it, but he was consumed by the fact that he could provide for his own family, um, and wasn't no longer had to depend on prayer or mm-hmm. on God to to um, yeah provide for him in that way. And so, yeah, before long, he began to work every day, including Sundays, and would miss mass in order to provide for his family. And it was just, um, I don't know, man, just just like the comfort of life that caught him. Like he just slow drifted away. Yeah. Cause he was, which is, it's, it's wild to think about. I mean, it's, it's hard to imagine a person that had to fight to be, to, to have the religion and to like, you know, was persecuted and could have been a martyr. Right. But lost it so easily when, when he got so comfortable. You yeah. Know? So it makes you, that's it makes you think, true. yeah. Cause well, that's what I'm, th- I guess that's what I'm thinking about. It's like, man, how do we get to a place like, why are those moments so impactful and why can't we, why is it so hard to have conversion moments in our own like day-to-day life? And I think part of it is that we, we find ourselves distracted mm-hmm. often. It's, we're so comfortable. There's, I mean, like, yeah, if your AC goes out, it's the end of the world, which is fair. Like it's South Louisiana over here, but, um, right. You know, but like there are large portions of the world that don't have AC at all and, are you know hotter and wetter or hotter and drier than we have um 
Yeah. And that's why, know. you know, in, in this Sunday's gospel coming up and wherever you're listening, you know, if you're listening to the podcast later on, it's Matthew 21, 28 through 32. Okay. So you can go back, you know, and Jesus talking about, um, he's basically, you know, basically he says, you know, I didn't, I didn't come for the righteous. I came for the sinners. I came for the tax collectors and the prostitutes. And look, <laughs> everyone starts to feel uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. And he's basically looking at the Pharisees and and pointing at them and being like, I didn't come for you. And they're, and they're like, what? <laughs> you know, I came for them, right? I, that's who I came for. Those who are lost, those who are far away, those who are, are, are sinners. And, you know, that's us, you know? And the more that we get comfortable as a Pharisee, like we're just like so comfortable, the more we drift away from our Calcutta, and I'm not saying like, hey, we need to all go back to sin and feel the tension there. Like we don't have to worry about sin. Like it's, you know, we're all struggle with sin. Jesus came to save us, all of us from our sin. But but the the further and further we drift away from our Calcutta, because our, our Calcutta is where we experience Christ. It's where we see the face of Christ in others and, in the, you know, being in those moments where we can give and serve and love, um, you know, certainly outside of like mass and the sacraments and prayer where we can actually be the mother Teresa's of the world and the St. Vincent de Paul's of the world and, and and do something, you know, Mm -hmm. um, and just have compassion for other people. And I, you know, so often, you know, like you got to get off of social media because it's like, it's like the, you don't really, there's such division that you don't see compassion often. Yeah. Yeah. There's something, man, I don't know. I'm still kind of thinking about this. Like there's something so like real about suffering that really grounds you and brings you into reality. Um, and, and being willing to put yourself in that place where we get to experience suffering, even if it's through somebody else, like where we're compassionate. Right. So, I mean, to be compassionate is to have, or be with, passio passion that suffering like the suffering of christ is the passion right and so i mean and that's what it is like that one of the things the the hard truths of the, the christian life is that suffering is love you know like christ's death on the cross was the ultimate suffering but it was also the ultimate gift and the ultimate act of love you know and if we spend our lives trying to avoid it rather than embrace the truth of it like they embrace the cross man we'll we'll go through our whole lives without actually living. Yeah. Yeah. And compassion, it does. That's what it means. It means to suffer with, right. You know, to, and, and that, and whatever that person's suffering with, you know, mental, spiritual, physical, but to have true compassion is to understand and to suffer with, mm-hmm. you know, you may not feel that same pain or know it or have experienced it, but you can have empathy and to suffer with. All right, we're going to take a break and we'll be right back. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. All 
Welcome back to the show. Thanks for listening. Glad you're with us today in studio with Uncle Chad. <laughs> Uncle Chad. Producer, producer Chad actually going at it today. I mean, figuring it out, doing it. Um, Adam gave him a tutorial that was the fastest <laughs> tutorial I've ever seen to the point where I don't know if you remember this last week. He was giving you the tutorial. And I was like, Chad, you're not going to remember all this. I'm leaving. And I just left. <laughs> I was like, y'all meet me for lunch. I am not uh, going to deal with this. It was, it was funny. Um, but anyway, thanks for listening on the podcast or on KLFT Radio. Glad you're a part of the show. Good to have you uh, with us today. Okay. So uh, in true fashion, man, as you produce your first yeah, show. Yeah, let's do it. How about we do a six-pack of questions? <laughs> Question. All right. Question one, Paul. We talked about retreats early on. Uh, do you have a retreat that you recommend to people? I mean, there, there's so many, and, and it would be hard to just say you right. got to do this, this, or this, and you got to take in your season of life. What if it was like their first retreat, you know, your, you know, w- what you can do, your time away, things like that. Um, so if you, you know, one of the things that I think a good retreat does is gives you time for silence. You know, mm-hmm. so. You can either a find a retreat center where you could just go by yourself, and there might be other people there, but it's total silence. Maybe you meet with a spiritual director; they have mass and meals, but it's just just you, and you know it's three, four, five days. Boom, go do it, and those are great. Uh, it may be, you know, a men's or women's retreat that's also silent, but it's a a whole group of people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's you know a silent retreat. Um, and there, there'll probably be some talks, and then you have times of silence to pray. Um, and so it's sort of a blended, you know. Or maybe a weekend retreat with men and women where it, you, you talk, and there's talks, and you're processing, and there's groups. And it's really kind of, I think, trying to pray and individualize, like, what are my needs spiritually right now? Do I need more of a communal retreat? Do I need more of silent time with the Lord? Mm-hmm. What, what, are I, what do I need and really being honest with God with that and then going, kind of going for that. And so every year when I do a retreat, I, that's what I kind of ask. What are my needs? Like, what do I really need right now? And what would be best for me for, for a retreat? And that's kind of how I look at it. Yeah. Question two, would, uh, do you recommend bringing your spouse along with you on retreat? Do you think it's better or worse? Or do you think you should, I mean, maybe this is answered in the first question, but. No, I would say that. Yes and no, in a sense of doing a personal retreat, just do it on your own. Mm-hmm. Okay. But if you want to find a marriage retreat that's different than a personal retreat, that would be great. Go on a retreat as a married couple, a weekend, a few days, and, you know, experience time together, prayer together, talks together, fellowship together. Uh, but it's, just, you know, the specific thing about a marriage retreat, different than a weekend away. Is that you're, you're, you know, you're growing in your faith together. It's mm-hmm. a specific need there. So um, that's what I would, I would do. Awesome. Question number three. We talked a little bit about a, a hospice. Have you had any? Have you had any chances to like go and visit the dying yet? And yeah. if so, what was that like? Yeah, I mean, honestly, like this Calcutta house. Um, really pray for that. And, you know, if anybody wants to learn more about it, but I went with one of our Catholic chaplains, you know, um, to, to visit a home and this elderly woman. And of course, you know, not 
every hospice patient is elderly. We often think of that, but it's just someone who's, you know, imminent. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, he gave her communion and she had Alzheimer's and was just kind of talking all over and he gave her communion. She's laying in her bed. Like it just got peaceful. Well, I was like, I was okay with that. Mm-hmm. And there was family there. Um, and you could tell like some of them were probably not churchgoers, but grandma certainly was, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and I was, I was totally cool, man. And then he knelt down, held her hand, and he started singing Amazing Grace. Wow. I was not prepared. Mm. Like, I almost had to walk out. Like, it was so powerful. You could feel the Holy Spirit in the room. And God's presence in that moment was so tangible. Like, so tangible. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was a really beautiful, you know, beautiful time. Wow. Yeah, can you, do you have any, maybe we've talked about this before, but do you have any stories from, uh, from visiting New Orleans and d- during Hurricane Katrina you, you talked about? Yeah, so, you know, with, in 2005, we basically, not basically, ran shelters for people who were displaced, mm-hmm. evacuees. And, you know, you kind of thought, oh, a week or two, they'll be here, they'll go back home or whatever. But because Katrina was this flooding and the wind damage is like, there, there was no going back home because it was thousands of people affected the shelters were open from six months to a year. So mm-hmm. like it was a long-term sort of ministering to folks in the shelter. And most of the folks in the shelter were, you know, folks who couldn't just, you know, get another house or whatever, you know, right? And there was this one time where this elderly man was, um, he was in the bathroom stall and he couldn't help himself. And mm. like he, he was stuck in there and, uh, he kept asking for help, and I just happened to be washing my hands, and I was like, uh, somebody else is going to have to help that guy, <laughs> right? And it was sort of like that Mother Teresa moment with the priest where it was like, I'm, I can't do this. I'm not trained for this. Right. It was like that same sort of feeling. Yeah. And then you look around and say, well, nobody else is going to do it because nobody else is in here, and this guy needs help. And it's like St. Vincent de Paul. Like, you can do something that that person can't, and that's what Jesus would do. And I was like, oh, God. Mm. So I went in the stall and helped this very vulnerable man in a very vulnerable time. And it was, you know, as I set I set him on the counter and I tried to dress him and clean him up. And I remember looking in his eyes and and he told me his name and I was I literally one of the few moments in my life where I saw the face of Jesus in his eyes and I I left the shelter just like weeping. Gosh. Uh, I just kind of had to get like control like like process the moment and yeah that that was that was a, a a real unique experience wow wow question five i think we're on um how do you have any tips or any uh advice for people maybe that want to discern how they can best serve their community or how they can find their own calcutta yeah, really pray and look around. Like there are Calcuttas in your town, your neighborhood, and your cities. And look, it, it, your first Calcutta is your family and your, your neighborhood and, you know, your your workplace. Those are all little Calcuttas where you can be the presence and face of Jesus in those areas. But I think there is some uniqueness to the spiritual, the Christian life of of serving those who are vulnerable right and and in need and if you can do something for them whether your time talent or treasure can help then find that out and and do that you know so it's kind of on us to kind of 
you know, look for it because we could, we can put blinders on and not see, mm-hmm. right? But if you take the blinders off, you'll find your a Calcutta near oh, you. Yeah. Yeah, we can start. A, we can start a campaign. Find the Calcutta near you. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. Well, if there's a Calcutta house coming up, I mean, it's literally in the name. So yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So question number six, the one everybody's been waiting for: If you bit into a chicken nugget with a chicken bone in it, would you continue to eat at McDonald's? <clears throat> well, yes, probably. <laughs> the, okay, the last time I actually had a mcdonald's chicken nugget has been like a long time yeah and i've had other things at mcdonald's i'll confess you know but i don't eat fast food a ton but i will tell you this i went to a mexican restaurant and i'm not joking i got fajitas which i love and wonderful i was going to serve a fajita on that hot sizzling plate and no joke no lie took a picture of it there was a roach fried and it looked like it looked like a you know it was kind of blending in with like the strip of steak yeah so if you're listening oh i'll never eat there again but i did paul i I it took me about i would say a year and i went back because i was like it's just a mistake i know well yeah i say that but when i was when i was a kid i went we went to taco bell and brought my parents brought me a taco back (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and inside the taco they had a fake fingernail it was glittery and every- oh, i thought it was an my. onion at first in my taco why is there always taco bell <laughs> stories like that i thought it was an onion in my taco but it was a fake finger it was like a picked off fake fingernail yeah so in I've, there I've and it a- took me a few years before everyone back to taco bell again you know what it took you going to college and you're like yeah that did it i need some cheap food yeah <laughs> that's what oh man took. they got the five dollar box gosh this is not a promotion for taco bell but man well, so well if you're a college student, you can get by. Oh, yeah, you know? dude. You can get like dollar, $2 meals. And it'll, <laughs> I mean, it expands so much in your stomach, you feel like you're full. Yep. So anyway, <laughs> yes, anyway. I, I'm kind of forgiving like that, but it does take time. So anyway, thanks for listening to the show. Great show today. Covered a lot of ground. So uh, share it on podcasts, uh, iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, whatever the case may be. Uh, thanks to all our sponsors, KLFT Radio, for being a part of the show. Really appreciate it. And uh, we'll be back next week. God bless you.